good evening to our listeners to the Dominican.net radio. Let me welcome you to this week in interview for March 3rd, 2010. And tonight with us for the entire hour is Dr. Laurel John Baptist, who is the co-founder of Scholar Labs Technologies, one of the largest and quickest growing companies, technology companies in Canada. A company is involved in building innovative technologies for online learning. Let me say a very special good night to you, Laura. Thank you, Thompson. It's a pleasure to be uh, welcomed so uh, gracefully onto uh, the station, and I look forward to a very entertaining and uh, interesting hour. Well, it's great having you. In fact, in, in the build-up to this interview, we've got quite a lot of, of interest um, because, for one thing, you are the first lady, I believe, that we're having on the Dominican.net um, radio for the interview. So that's a first for you. But also, there was quite a lot of interest in what you have been involved in because it's not traditional for, for women to be into the area that you are in, the whole area of technology. So probably we can just start, before we talk about your work with your company, probably we can just talk in general terms about the role of women in technology and what actually got you into this area. So, so my interest um, in technology really started at um, the St. Andrews High School. And um, at, at the time, I was very intrigued um, by computers and, and technology, but because of access to, um, to computers, did not really get exposed as much as I, I would want to get a hunger um, to, to really to learn more. And then went on to the Clifton uh, Dupigny Community College, which is now uh, the state college, and uh, did a little bit of uh, computers there. And then um, after I immigrated in Can uh, to Canada, continued my interest in uh, computer programming. But it, it really stemmed from uh, my interest in technology uh, really stemmed from getting that foundation at the St. Andrews High School, wanting more and not being able to, uh, or not having the means and the access to to technology. So, so yes, you're right. It's it's not a traditional area for for women, and in fact, those pose um, along with with some other challenges. Those uh, being a woman in technology has posed many significant challenges um, for me throughout my career when I worked um, in the corporate world, but also um, in, in, starting, um, in starting my business. So, but, but with that, there, are, uh, there continues to be uh, an interest from, um, uh, from other women who, who, bla who really have um, blazed the way for, for people like me to be um, involved in, in technology, and it, it's also a very great time to be involved in, in, in technology because they, we're on the cusp of some great things, and technology continues to revolutionize the way we learn, the way we live. Technology is making me, is, is enabling our discussion tonight, where I'm in Toronto, and I'm able to speak to, to listeners um, Globally, that's correct. So, yes. technology is really revolutionizing the way we live and the way we learn, and being part of that, um, be, being part of that innovation, really, really drives me, because as my interest in technology started, as as not having access to technology, and it's really come um, full circle because a lot of the work and a lot of the technology that uh, my company's uh, Scholar Lab and Power Captions, a lot of our technologies uh, are geared at enabling access to um, to education, access to inno innovation, and access to information. So that really um, is is driving my interest and driving my passion for technology and specifically um, learning technology that will enable women all over the world to, um, 
to have access to unprecedented information, whereas a few years ago, um, when, when I was a student at the St. Andrews High School back in, um, back in the early 90s, that was not, um, that was not possible. But uh, Dr. John Baptist, do you think that there is a, a bias against women who choose that field or is it something that is created within the, the whole education system itself that prevents women from aspiring to go into that, in, into that area? Well, I think it, it, it really starts at the, um, I, I would say, at, at the, at the primi, primary and secondary level. I, I know that uh, when I did my undergrad, undergraduate studies in computer information systems, I was one of um, probably two women in my class. And I think part of it stems uh, from socialization because I remember being told we would get into these group settings and the, the males in my group would automatically assume that my role was to take notes. Okay. And I would, I would have to set them straight. And I would say, no, no, I'm going to, I'm actually leading this group. I'm going to be writing some other programs. So part of it is, is socialization and part of it is, um, is the education system. Some of my research um, with uh, the University of Toronto has really um, been geared at, at looking at um, immigration and race within education. So, so, so th there, there are a multitude of factors that really um, come into play when we're talking about um, issues of, of women in technology, but also women of um, women of color in technology. So to answer your question, I think, yes, um, socialization plays a role in um, where women see themselves as being fit within um, or fitting within society, but also the education system does play a role. Um, I remember interviewing uh, some individuals uh, for a research study that I was doing back in um, I think it was in 2004, and I was looking at the socioeconomic consequences of the lack of access to technology for disadvantaged groups within society. And some of the key findings from that study were, for example, guidance counselors, even within, um, within Toronto and within Ontario, guiding women, and especially women of color, into administrative roles. So these, these guidance counselors were really responsible for helping um, these, these children and these immigrant children to, um, to helping them to find their way through school and, and finding, because many times they were actually um, first generation um, to, to be looking into going to colleges and their parents were not as literate. Plus also because they're, they are immigrants, they don't necessarily understand the Canadian education system. So these guidance counselors really had a, a, a huge responsibility in guiding these children in, into, or these young people into the right direction and, and very often they were told um, they were guided either into apprenticeship programs or into business programs, but really science and technology was not um, was not a focus now that 's not to say that there are not um, exceptions, but what I've, what, what what studies have um, continuously shown is that um, in the women of color but also individuals of color. Um, racialized people are tend to be guided towards um, apprenticeship programs, especially for for males and for women into um, administrative administrative roles. So there is definitely um, a need for for more women in women and women of color, specifically in technology, in science and technology. Women. And I think that the education system does have. A, a very strong role to play in 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 guiding those directions. 
So in a lot of ways, you're actually leading the charge because as you said, and, and, I, and you know, you're talking about your experiences that you've had even in terms of going to different meetings and, and functioning as you are now as the head of your, of your company and having to enter a room where it, where it, is, it is all male. Uh, and how does that feel? Does that, does, how does that make you feel as an, as an individual, knowing that you have the smarts, you have the qualifications, yet people automatically assume that you are there for other than leading the discussion or other than, than, than being in front? How does that make you feel as an individual? Well, I, you know, it, it has been a, a huge learning experience for me. And I, I, I use the term very often, slaying dragons. So every day when I go into a meeting, I'm slaying a dragon. And that dragon is really the, the stereotypical nature of the perception of a woman and the perception of a woman of color. And I, I, when I first started, um, started this company, I had some, some huge, huge, huge challenges. And I remember speaking with, um, one of, with my, my supervisor from the university at the time. And um, I, I was explaining to her some of the challenges I'm having, you know, with people doing the double take and even some of the comments that were being made and, being, and sitting around the table with, somebody who, with, with males who are in their 40s or 50s and really talking about some of the technology and demonstrating some of our technology, which really um, sells itself, and being questioned on, on my ability to, to, to really deliver the, the, the implementation of these technologies. And she said, well, here's the thing. You have four strikes against you. You're a woman in technology. Mm -hmm. You're black. You have an accent and you're young. So what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. For me, that was, that was profound because that was the first time I had actually, or somebody had actually articulated for me some of the challenges that I was having. So it is, it, it, every day is definitely like slaying a dragon. And there are um, some huge challenges. And I, I, I I don't want to minimize the significance of, of those challenges and the significance of those challenges for, for, for people of color and for women who are involved in other fields also. I'm sure that there are endless number of stories that can be told about uh, people who even um, as, as lawyers or as, um, as, as within the business sector and they've gone into meetings and, and had their credibility questioned um, by another individual. Oftentimes, it may be overt, but it's oftentimes very subtle. It's the subtle things that are, that, that are said. You know, I, I, two weeks ago, I was, added, I was sitting at, at a meeting uh, with uh, two other individuals, and we got into talking about race. And it, it, this is really interesting because the other person is one of the individuals um, is Caucasian and the other was, um, is Indian. And he, the Indian uh, gentleman proceeds to say that there's a hierarchy in the world with whites at the top, Indians and, and Asians in the middle, and blacks at the bottom. Interesting. So, which, to, to me, and, and, you know, I, I, I looked at him because I, I saw, I, I call these opportunities uh, teaching opportunities. So, of course, I saw the teaching opportunity, and we started just, you know, exchanging dialogue as to how he came up with that, um, that, this high, hypothesis. Obviously misguided, yes. Uh, misguided hypotheses, because for him to even put himself as a racialized individual on, on, on that hierarchy is, is very interesting, because he, he, he has put himself as, as in, in the middle, so somebody else is higher than he is. So we got into just talking and exchanging um, some of the thoughts 
on on why he thought that was um some of the, his viewpoints on why he thought that that was the case and at the end of the day it came to his socialization and what he was taught from his parents and so we we got into talking about um colonialization and um and the the Indian history and he he sort of sort of unraveled and then apologized for for making that comment and I think you know I I would hope that that has made that has enabled him to see things um differently but I'm saying that to say that when when you're dealing when when I go to answer your your initial question of how does it make me feel going into a meeting one there are many teaching opportunities but also i see it as as, as a representation of and and breaking the status quo and to say okay yes i am a female in a in a male dominated um industry and and yes i'm not 50 years old and i don't have 20 years of experience though i've i have about 10 years of experience from working in this field for quite for quite a while but that does not question my ability to talk about technology and implementation of technology at a very very senior senior level and i i have i have seen um from some of my clients that i have been able to build relationships with i think that that i would or oh, i would hope that that has enabled a change in um in perspective and a change in behavior to um to people of and and women specifically of uh, of color okay in case you are just joining us on this weekend interview our special guest tonight is dr laurel john baptist of dominica who is the co-founder of Scholar Labs, uh, which builds innovative technologies for online learning. Laura, it's probably a good time for us to just kind of switch gears a little bit and talk some more about your company. You, you co-founded Scholar Labs, and, mm-hmm. and you're very much involved in, in building the technologies that are being used for online learning because we see a number of universities are getting into this online learning experience thing like even the established universities they have this online that facilitates learning using technology to bring learning to the home and you've been an innovator in this area tell us about your company scholar labs well the the goal of scholar lab is really to build um, powerful multimedia systems and to use the latest educational innovations to create customized e-learning experiences. So specifically, we focus on the education sector because through research, we have seen that a lot of educational institutions or even professional organizations don't have the IT infrastructure to take their content online. And we don't think that should be an inhibitor of why, for why an organization cannot reach the audiences that they would like to reach. So our technologies are really designed to plug into either existing infrastructure or they are hosted systems where we host the systems um, and the technology for these organizations. So very, very often um, I get asked the question, do you build content? Do you build online content? Do you build courses? No, we don't build courses. We build the technology that facilitates taking the content online. So I'll give you some examples of some of the, um, the things that we've done and how we've been able to add value and drive down, drive down the cost of, um, of learning for many of our clients. One of our, one of our largest clients in, in, in Toronto, um, prior to uh, partnering with Scholar Lab, had DVDs. Now, DVDs are quite expensive to, 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 to duplicate. 
they're quite expensive to produce. And this organization has about uh, 40,000 members across Canada. So they were spending a lot of money um, duplicating these, um, these DVDs in a professional manner and then paying for shipping and all the other costs associated with producing these DVDs. So when we, when we sat down and we looked at the business case, we came up with um, a system where we would take their existing DVDs so they didn't have to go and you know, find ways of creating uh, new course content. We took their existing DVDs, migrated those DVDs onto an online format that we hosted at ScholarLab. But where we really added value, and this is something that's near and dear to my heart, is this organization, they, they have 40,000 members as I mentioned, most of their members were, had English as a second language. What they found was that because they had exams that were associated with the training, people with English as a second language were failing at a very high rate. So and the, the, it begs the question, why are these individuals failing? So somebody with a very negative perception of uh, immigrants would say, well, it's because these immigrants aren't smart. But when we sat down and did an evaluation of the course content, the instructors are Canadian, uh, Caucasian, Canadian, with Canadian accents, and they were using Canadian terminology and idioms that these immigrants who are new to Canada don't necessarily understand. Now, to put this conversation in context for people who are listening outside of Canada, Canada has um, a very aggressive immigration um, immigration system where based on a point system they go out and attract individuals who are categorized as internationally trained immigrants so if you have a bachelor's degree or um, work experience you fall into the category and you apply for immigration within Canada you fall within the category of internationally trained immigrants now it's a whole other story because there are so many studies that have been done where you, immigrants with, um, with PhDs are driving taxi cabs. Well, that's not, you know, that, that, that's not a story. It's actually reality. And one of my present studies that I'm doing right now looks at how the title of the study is How Does Race Influence the Job Search Experiences of Internationally Trained Immigrants Who Choose to Re-Enter Their Professions in Canada? Okay, and that, that also back. explains to some extent, Sorry. Laurel, that, that also explains to some extent the, the large numbers of, of um, Chinese and, and, and um, Indians that we see in Canada, this immigration targeted towards yes. getting yes. trained people. Okay. Yes, it's, it's part of uh, Canada's initiative to attract um, internationally trained um, immigrants to Canada because Canada has a negative birth rate. So... But what, what this organization was finding is they had a, a very high uh, failure rate around immigrants. So in addition to migrating the DVDs to an online format and adding security and added um, additional features, we added captions to those um, DVDs. So when somebody is um, listening to those DVDs, they could, to, to the online videos, they could actually pause the video, they could follow along, and they could read along with listening to what the instructor was saying. Well, what do you know? Six months later, the, the pass rate for internationally trained immigrants had actually increased by, I think it was 35%. Wow, this is amazing. So, mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I'm saying this is great. This is truly amazing, yeah. It, it is, and it, it, that's what, you know, that, that's, these, these are some of the initiatives that, that are very near and dear to me because there are so many things that can be done to, to improve the interaction, not only for internationally trained immigrants, but to learners on a whole. Because very often people are put into, um, into brackets of, okay, you can't, you can't learn. Or I, I remember, you know, there were people when I grew up in, in Margot who were labeled as, as being, being dumb or stupid because they, they didn't have or they were not 
putting forward the kind of grades in school that other people were were, were putting forward. So, I mean, it's there are many different from from a learning pedagogical perspective. There are many technology issues. Technology is enabling individuals to who who learn in different ways to really take a use technology to improve their their outcomes. And that is the goal of 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 my company is to continue to revolutionize the way people learn. This is and the this way this we is, learn yeah, this is truly fascinating, Dr. John Baptist, because your company also has the distinction of being one of the fastest growing technology companies in the whole of Canada. Yes, it does. <laughs> this is and um, congratulations are certainly in order and, and I can I can sense from talking to you I can see the, the, the drive and the passion that, that 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 and certainly with that kind of, of passion and, and drive in your company there's I'm not surprised that you're meeting that kind of success. But you're 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 mainly involved in the online learning experience, right? And and that is where you're you're largely focused in. Yeah, we're largely focused um, in online learning. So um, integrating multimedia in online learning. So integrating video um, with PowerPoint, with um, with audio to really enhance and enrich that that learning experience. And we we have quite a bit. Um, we have some great technology. Um, unfortunately. We're going through the patent process right now with some of our technologies, and we're unable to put to, to sh I'm unable to share as much as I as I would want to on my on the advice of my patent lawyers. <laughs> so so you'll have to excuse me on that. But but we we what we do is um, with our clients is that we meet on an individual basis and demonstrate how they can take um, their training online and really reach a global audience. We live in a global society, and taking technology online has so many, and, and taking learning online has so many benefits, uh, not only for individuals within the same geographic location, but also for, for people spread, for individuals spread um, all over the world. This is very fascinating stuff, Dr. John Baptist. And um, let me just remind our listeners that you're listening to this week in interview with our guest, Dr. Laurel John Baptist, who is the co-founder of Scholar Labs. That is a company in Canada that is building innovative technologies for online learning. Now, I understand that you're not only restricted to Canada, that you're in fact operating as well in the United States. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Um, we have a very large development team based in downtown Atlanta, and I commute uh, back and forth from uh, Toronto and Atlanta. But the position of, positioning of Atlanta is very important because quite a few companies are, are headquartered in Atlanta, quite a few significant companies like um, CNN and, and Coca-Cola and, and uh, some, some others are headquartered in Atlanta. So Atlanta is a, is a strategic um, location uh, for us, and we have uh, quite a large um, pool of uh, developers, um, technology developers based, um, based in Atlanta. We've talked about, and our hope is to expand into uh, the Caribbean at uh, some point and um, advance um, into the West Indies and, and to really take, take our technology not only from a, from a North American perspective, but into uh, other, parts of, other parts of the world. And the West Indies is definitely an area that we've identified that um, for me personally, that is um, a, a mandate that I would like to explore um, when we have the bandwidth to do so. We're still um, a growing company, and um, we still have very many limitations. And um, but but it's something that's that's on the on the horizon for for Scholar Lab. This is excellent. In case you are just joining us again, our guest for the entire hour tonight on this weekend interview is Dr. Laurel John Baptist, co-founder of Scholar Labs, 
that is a company involved in building innovative technologies for online learning. And the number you can reach us at is 301-4587-467. That's 301-4587-467. Or you could send us an email to radio at the dominican.net if you'd like to get in on the conversation. Now, Dr. John Baptist, this is fascinating because here I am listening to you and, and talking to you like this. And, and I realized that in just in the, in the mid-90s, you were a student of the St. Andrews High School in Dominica. And just a, a few proud years, student of the Saint Andrew High School. <laughs> yeah, and just a few years removed, you are you are leading. You're one of the of the leading women in technologies in Canada. You're heading a, a startup that is arguably one of the fastest growing companies in Canada. You are involved in an area that is critical, that is just gaining width every day because, as I said, a number of universities are uh, using technologies for online learning, and people are more and more people are accessing those tell us about your your journey coming from from dominica tell us a little bit more about your your background in in dominica where you came from what village you come from and a little bit more and, and what kind of transition you had that moved you from just a few years ago from being a student in st Andrews high school to now being of course having your phd and starting up a, a company well i was i was born in in margot and uh, went to the St. Andrews High School. Uh, one of the, the, the defining things for me has always been my mother, who is really um, the rock of my life. And she, she's just a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal woman. And she, she is barely literate, uh, but she very early on, I, I have uh, three siblings, um, two sisters, and uh, one brother. Uh, so she very early on instilled the importance of uh, education because she did not have the opportunity to, to go to school. I think um, if she had to drop out of um, elementary school, probably at the grade four, grade five level, to take care of her um, younger siblings. So she, she really instilled in us uh, the importance of education. I, I, was, I am privileged to have an older sister who, who's also um, one, of, one of my mentors and one of the, just the strongest um, women I know. So, I'm so, I'm so I, I was surrounded and continue be, to be surrounded by some very strong women. And so having that as a foundation and then going on to the St. Andrews High School where I was taught by some more strong women, people like uh, Gloria Schillingford, who's now in, uh, a member of parliament in, um, in, in Roosevelt Skerritt's um, uh, government, and Miss um, um, Cynthia White, and, and others. You know, others just too num numerous to mention. So they really um, gave me such a, such a strong foundation but also at the time, I was um, very involved in, in my community and having Dame Eugenia Charles as our prime minister um, was, was really a, a motivator for me because have her, with being in that role, she taught me that I could be whatever I wanted to be. So it's really a combination of... of um, of things coming together, like having a strong mother, being surrounded by some, some strong women, and having mentors. Uh, when my transition to Toronto was, was in no way easy, and it's been very, very challenging at times. But, you know, when, when you have a good foundation, it really is, is a solid rock because I have points of reference that I can look back and I can, um, I can say, okay, well, if this person could, have, could do it, then I can do it. And but along the way, I've, I've had many people who believed in me. Remember when I was leaving Dominica in 19, 1996, um, actually 1997, June of 97, um, an old friend said to me, you've always, you, you've always been blessed with wings 
now it's time to fly. And I carry, I carry that with me very, very dear to my heart. I carry that with me through, I, and I have carried it with me through, through many struggles and, and many challenges, and I continue to carry it with me on a, on a daily basis. I, I remind myself to, to remain humble and to remain true to my Dominicanness. Uh, which is I love just knowing. Go ahead. I said I, I love that Dominicanness. Yes. My Dominicanness. <laughs> just just knowing that you know challenges come and you know they they will be overcome, and just continue co- continue to uh to persevere. You know you've raised some very interesting um, points of discussion. You know talking about the education system in Dominica and the influence of, of women, strong women in your life, like Dame Eugenia mm-hmm. and Gloria and, and all the other teachers who, who molded you. And, but just having, and your mom, of course, and, and, but coming from that kind of background in Dominica, where you were made to believe that you could do anything with very little, and you've certainly flown, and you've flown and, and, and taken, taken that to, 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 to heights where we, can, we, can, we are very, very, very proud of you. Now, we, we are moving very quickly on time. I wanted to, to talk, uh, Laurel, um, some more about your involvement with MIT, the Massachusetts Institute. Yes. Um, MIT, sorry. The, um, this, uh, can you tell us about your involvement in that institution? Uh, yes, that, that, that's, that's another um, area that is uh, very near and dear to my heart. As you can tell, I have quite a few areas that are near and dear to my heart. Uh, I started um, a few years ago. I found out about the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Open Courseware Consortium. And really, the, the Open Courseware Consortium is, is a digital publication of high-quality education material, educational materials. So what MIT did, I mean, this is this world-renowned institution, and they took all of their courses and placed it online so anybody with access to a computer can go on to the MIT OpenCourseWare site and take a course online. I thought, for, for me, that was huge because they opened up access to years and years and years of research. So a few, a few years ago, I got an opportunity um, to attend a conference, um, an MIT conference, and I was really impressed with, with some of the individuals I met and also some of the work that MIT was doing and was nominated as the chairperson of the MIT OpenCourseWare Consortium. Since then, we have um, led the way in terms of the open education movement and increasing access to, um, to, to education. We have grown to over 300 universities worldwide collaborating on opening and increasing access to education, and that incre- includes uh, courseware, but it also includes technology. So we're really at the forefront of innovation in terms of building and, and working with universities globally to look at ways to decrease the cost of learning. And let me give you a, a, a very simple example. Um, the in, uh, University of Cape Town in, um, in South Africa, they uh, now took some of MIT's um, engineering content, remixed it, made it culturally specific, and they're using some of that content to teach at the University of Cape Town. So before the MIT, uh, the OpenCourseWare Consortium, that was not possible because information was sort of locked. You know, everybody was trying to protect their um, their knowledge and really not not sharing it on a global scale. So the goal of the consortium is to extend and reach the impact of um, education by encouraging the adoption of uh, education globally, but also to engage the sustainability of individuals who are just looking for access to um, access to information. Now, unfortunately, there's representation 
from, from Asia. Quite a few of uh, the Asian universities are part of this global movement of over 300 universities. There, there's involvement in North America, um, in, in Mexico, uh, and Latin America. When it comes to the West Indies, there is no representation with the University of the West Indies or any other educational institutions in the West Indies. And I think, given my, my knowledge of the Open Courseware Consortium, it's such a rich body of sharing information and increasing the knowledge base nationally and interacting with people on, a, on an international level, I think we're really losing out in the West Indies that, that we're not, um, our educational institutions in the West Indies are not part of uh, the Open Courseware Consortium. But here's the other thing that's happening. Because of uh, the Open Courseware Consortium, a lot of um, countries are really using this as a form of attracting students from different parts of the world, and they're using this as, as a form of marketing of, of the country. So in, in a lot of ways, it's contributing to, to tourism because you have exchange programs within um, universities, but you're really you're opening up access to, um, to information where people learn about your country, your culture, your educational standards, and they really contribute to building that knowledge base. And I, I think there would be it, the, the importance of having educational institutions as part of the Open Courseware Consortium is really invaluable. And I hope there's somebody listening out there who, um, within an educational institution in, in the West Indies, who can really help to promote um, that access and to, to information from the Open Courseware Consortium. This is this is this is fascinating, and and um, with regards to individuals, though, are you saying that, for example, if if I want to do a follow course with say a math course or something, I can go online and and simply register, and the course is free, and it is it has regular scheduled classes. How does it actually work? So it's the course. The course is free. Now I I should clarify that that it doesn't lead to an MIT degree. It doesn't lead to an MIT degree, but you can go on the, the MIT site or the OpenCourseWare, just do a quick um, Google of MIT OpenCourseWare, or go on to OpenCourseWare Consortium where you can look at the courses offered by um, any number of um, universities who are part of this consortium. But um, specific to MIT, yes, you can go and you can actually search. So let's say you're looking for something in um, biology, you can just go and click on and, and you can view the, the courses in biology. And the, there, there are PowerPoints, there's audio. So you can um, get access to to this information and it's it's a it's a lecturer who's in an MIT class and he was uh, videoed and the information is there and all of the the study notes and um the syllabus is also there too what what a lot of um educational institutions um are using are doing is they are using they as part of the creative commons license they're using access okay. to... Laurel, um, I, I don't want to interrupt to this, topic, but let me, let me take this call, and then we can, we can bring in the, the caller. Hello, caller. Oh, yeah. never mind. Yes, good evening, caller. Yes, hi, uh, Dr. Fontaine. Yes, you are on this weekend interview with our guest, Dr. Laurel John-Baptist. I believe she can hear you as well. Yes, I can. Hi. Excellent. Hey, good evening. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. Um, quite impressive. Quite impressive conversation. Um, and um, I, I, I really must tell you that uh, you're an inspiration to a lot of us, you know, especially those from the countryside in Downica who found a way um, in North America and elsewhere doing great things. So certainly none other than your interviewer, Dr. Fontaine, who comes from the hills of Grand Four. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the, the question I would like to ask you, though, Dr. John Baptist, is um, 
do you, I know you must be very busy with a very punishing schedule, needless to say, but do you, do you have a, t a chance to teach or do you have, or would you have also have a chance to start some non-profit that provides, you know, some enriching experience to immigrant youth? I, I heard earlier in the program you were uh, elaborating on some of the um, issues with um, immigration and moving ahead. So I don't know if there is enough time in the day for you to do that, but I'd like to, to, to hear, um, you know, your take on this. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm part of this uh, not-for-profit not um, organization in Toronto um, who was started by an individual uh, named Dwight. His background, uh, Dwight Townsend, his background is, uh, is, is Jamaican. He's also um, a student at the University of Toronto. And I was uh, matched with Dwight's foundation through uh, the Maitre Foundation that I'm actively involved in Toronto where they, um, they're trying to promote a, a diverse city. So I, I do do quite a bit of work with, uh, with this organization in terms of going out into at-risk at um, at neighborhoods to um, speak to other individuals, but specifically within the context of uh, speaking to, to girls about science and technology. I must admit, though, that I, I don't have the bandwidth that I would want to have to get, in, to get more involved because I'm, I'm growing my, my, my company, but also very involved with uh, MIT and the Open Courseware Consortium and a few other um, initiatives that I'm, I'm trying to push forward um, on the research, um, research side of things. As I mentioned, I'm doing some research on how race um, helps with the job search um, pro process and hope to parlay that research into a book in the next uh, year or so. So it's just I, I am guilty of not having enough time. Yeah, because I, there are only 24 hours in the day. Yes, I know. Yes. <laughs> I, re I really wish I, wanted, I want to lobby for, <laughs> for, 20, for 28, 28, but yeah. I don't know where to start. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I, I, we, we do understand. We, we all live very busy lives, and we have to juggle a lot of things. If I, if I may just ask one more question, and then I, I, I will take my answer off the line. Um, you know, the, 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 the beautiful city of Margaret, if I can say so. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> of course, you know. Of you course. Know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the jewel of the north, if you may. Um, but um, are you, are you, oftentimes, you know, immigrants who've um, made strides, certainly from our people who have made made strides in in the big city, oftentimes, um, rightfully or wrongfully. Um, accused of not giving back in any way, shape, or form. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that concept. I think we might Oh, be. yes. <laughs> so we may give back to our close relatives, our friends, you know, folks we, you know, we grew up with and had established relationships long before we stepped into that arena. Um, so I would just like to know, um, you know, what efforts, you know, have you made or what efforts are you planning um to 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 you know to, to to bridge that and also I would also ask you um, I'm not sure if it's too personal but um you know where did you get a, your start up capital to to start off your business so so that's two questions um, I'm going to answer them quickly because I see we're very um, close for mm -hmm. time. Uh, one, the first question is, what am I doing um, in Maragot at this time? Nothing. And that's pr primarily because of bandwidth, but also it's tied into your next question of um, sources of um, capital. <laughs> yes, so, yes, you know, there, with, 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 with a startup organization, you know, I, I've, I don't know if you're familiar with the term bootstrapped, but it's yes, a... Exactly. So I bootstrapped this company um, from ground up. I've worked very, very hard in Toronto um, for the past uh, 10 years and um, pretty much invested um, considerably into starting uh, the company. But even prior to starting the company, though, I did a considerable amount of research into the future of learning. And I actually run a blog 
um, apprendos.blogspot.com, so HTTP um, colon forward slash apprendos.blogspot.com, where I put a lot of research, um, or publish a lot of research on the future of learning. So we invested, I started the company with two other individuals, and we invested for about a year and a half just mainly in research, even before we started building anything. So we, while I was working um, full-time, I was also doing research on what type of technologies I would like to build or we would like to build. What is the market demanding? And a lot of times, you know, as with us entrepreneurially-minded individuals, we go out and build things without doing the research. So our technologies are really um, grounded in research, but I, 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 I was lucky because my involvement with the MIT OpenCourseWare gave me access to a lot of information also. So, so to, an to answer your question, um, it's uh, self-funded and um, through organic growth. So as we take on clients, we expand and um, try to do that in a very uh, meticulous way. Mm -hmm. Well, this is interesting, you know, because I saw some statistics recently that um, in, in the U.S., over 25% of the technology companies that were founded between 1995 and 2025, 25% um, of them had a key immigrant founder. Yes, yes. Actually, I, I did. Um, I did read that. I was reading something from a venture capitalist the other day, and he was saying that um, immigrants are one of the fastest. The immigrant um, population um, is one of the fastest growing sectors in getting involved in um, in startups. But Laurel, you know, you've really bucked the trend, you know, because. We tend to think of Dominicans as being very cautious and we are all the time that we don't have the entrepreneurial spirit that we we are very good at, at, at going to school and then working for somebody else. But you seem to have broken that mold wide open. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I have some uh, beliefs in terms of life and whatever, and we won't get into that right now. But I, I was that way for, for quite a many years. And this is actually my third company that I'm trying to start. So third time's a charm. But right out of um, undergrad, um, I started this company called Dynabyte, and we were building websites. And that was not successful because I didn't have the know-how or the right business partners. So, you know, I was, I was very young. I was probably um, 21 at the time. Then started um, a, a web hosting company a few years later and um, was also – you know, didn't go into that doing the research and whatever. So the third time, I knew what needed to be done, but also I have, I have some great um, business partners who are very entrepreneurially minded. So I've been able to learn and grow from them. So it's, it's by no means that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this on my own. I, I do have um, specifically a great uh, business partner who has started um, a few companies himself, and he is uh, just brilliant, a technologist also, and is, is really helping to, to, to foster and build the type of technology that, that we need. Um, but, but you know, mm -hmm. uh, allow me to go back to Marigold again if I can. Yes. <laughs> of course. Are you from Marigold? Um, no, I'm not from Marigold, but most of my, a lot of my friends are from Marigold. I oh, think okay. I think it might be so taken with the people of Marigat, more so than anything else. Yeah, so, <laughs> you may tell who is this on the line. I don't know, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm from the east, you know. Um, but you know, I I used to spend holidays in Marigat. Okay, up, great. Up up in Nantwizel. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, the the issue here is, um, did you did you sell anything as a kid by the roadside out there in Marigat? No. Well, I, I had my first job when I was, uh, I think I was probably 12 or 13. I don't remember exactly. What were you but doing? My, first, my first job was at, I, I was probably 13. I, I worked at the Grotto Home for the uh, Aged. Okay. Or is it the Grotto uh -huh. Home for the Homeless? I don't re re remember the exact. Um, uh -huh. the, but but I, I worked at, um, at uh, there for a while. And... I got a lot of blessings for, from um, the elderly people. 
But yeah. it really, I, having starting working at a very young age really taught me some some life lessons and some some very valuable lessons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know that there's a song by uh, Bujabantan, "Circumstances Make Me What I Am." Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Are you? So, are you, go, go ahead. Are you optimistic about the 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 Caribbean first generation that's born in North America and Canada, United and you know and the United States? Doctor John Baptist, before you answer this question, let me let me just mm-hmm. remind our listeners that they listen to this week in interview. There were a couple of people trying to reach us as well. There were a couple more calls trying to come in. So if you could just just um, keep trying. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have a couple of questions coming in by, by, by email. So I will let you take that. And if Dr. Finn can, can probably take it offline so we, we can get a couple more, yeah. more callers in as, in, in as well. Yeah. And, okay, and then we can take the, the calls from the, um, as well, two emails that just, that just came in. Yeah, I was just, my last question was, are you, you know, folks like myself and Dr. Fontaine and others, uh, we have planted families here in the U.S., folks, you know, or folks, you know, kids who were born here in the U.S., um, certainly away from the shores of Dominica, and we try to do as much as we can to inculcate into them, you know, about hard work, but obviously you're fighting against, you know, you're going to <laughs> the current, you know? Yeah. So I was wondering, just your, you know, just your personal view from what you've seen, are you are you optimistic about, you know, this first generation of Caribbean, Caribbean kids born in, the, born in North America? I, I am very optimistic. I don't I don't have children myself, but I have uh five nieces and I know um both of my my sisters do an excellent job in trying to communicate to to their children uh the importance of um of hard work, but also trying to instill in them some of the values that were taught by um our dearest mother. So I am optimistic. There are there are those significant challenges. Um, like one of my nieces. Hello. I think we just had an interruption in service. Yeah. I think Some I somebody's think trying I'll, to is trying yeah, to I'll get through. But okay. please go ahead. Yeah. Continue. And I'll, I'll just um, wrap it up quickly. But my my niece, who's six, came home and said. Why can't I let my hair down to be long like the other people in my class? And my my sister really did a great job of sitting down with her along with um with her with her husband and sitting down with with my niece and explaining things to her and so it it you know it it requires uh, um both parents to really be strong and to instill in in the kids the values that that we learned from from Dominica, which I think were just uh, tremendous, excellent values. Okay, well, thank you, and best of luck. Okay. Thank you. All right, thank you very much, Carla, for calling in. We certainly ap- sure. appreciate your, your input tonight. Let me just say, if you were, if you've been trying to reach, I see a couple of you that have been trying to reach us. Um, the number to call is 301-458-7467. Now, Laurel, there is a question coming in by email for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, let's, let's go to the caller that I've been trying for the longest while. Good evening, caller. Welcome to this weekend interview. Hello, caller. Um, if you could lower, don't Hello. listen to your internet. And yes. Yeah, sure. Yes, good evening, caller. You are live on this weekend interview. Yes, thank you, Thompson. Good to talk to you again, and uh, good to uh, see Laurel uh, on the show. Um, I, I'll make it brief. I know we're short on time. Um, uh, I was wondering, Laurel, if you saw a way to leverage your um, your experience, your knowledge, your expertise. Um, in, 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 at some point, I know I, I, I totally understand your question of the bandwidth. I, I'm pretty much the same way. Um, but leveraging that experience at some point in the future in the Dominican education system. I mean, often you say we have a, a wonderful education system, and I agree we have the cultural values. I'm not convinced we have the right approaches uh, to be effective in the, in the knowledge economy. Absolutely. I, I think uh, Dr. Fontaine and I have actually um, had some of these discussions 
in in the past on the, on some of the things that I I would like to see happen, um, not only within Dominica but within the region. So, sure. like I said, that's 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 something that's um, on on the horizon in terms of um, increasing access to. Um, to, to technology, increasing access to information, even um, enabling the study of um, the science and technology in, in schools at a very, very early age. So even at, at the, the primary school level, instilling that strong those strong values in science and technology, and that's something that I would like to see happen um, in the future. I don't know how far off in the future that is, but um, I'm hoping that it's something that I can uh, dedicate some attention to in, uh, in the next few years. Right, very good. Uh, glad to hear that. And um, it's something that um, I, I think the, another aspect to it is the ability for us to leverage uh, each other out here in the diaspora. Mm -hmm. There are lots of successful, educated, capable people um, a way through technology to leverage each, each other to, to maybe have an input and, and, and access or maybe even um, do some education through the education system at a distance. And yes. I think in making it a smaller world through this technology is, is going to be a big way we can play a direct role in our country's development. You so know, I, I look forward to that. Carla, it's interesting that you raised that because I was thinking, I was thinking it and saying, but why can't we organize something with the with the, the state college, for example, and have guest lectures mm -hmm. long distance? I mean, I would gladly exactly. give a lecture in economics, and I'm sure you could give a lecture in, in, in mathematics or in technology or Dr. Um, John Baptist in, in education or in technology. There are so many of us out there who would be willing to make that kind of contribution. And I think that is something that we probably need to start thinking about. I, I think uh, I one think of one of the one of the challenges we have to take into consideration is the technology infrastructure. I think very, you know very very often, and innovations in technology is really decreasing the cost of that. But for um, for the for the Dominican state state college investing in the technology infrastructure we're all we're going to need um they will need a, a capital investment in technology infrastructure and I, as dominicans that can be um an area that we can all come together to um enable that uh, technology infrastructure to happen sooner rather than later all right, excellent. I'll get up the air so the callers can get in. Um, thank you very much. All right, thank you very much, Kola, for participating tonight. Certainly appreciate it. Dr. John Baptist, yeah. my goodness, the hour is already over, almost over. Well, I think it's almost over. <laughs> um, it, it is almost over. I think it it's is, after nine. It's, it's, a, it's after nine. But um, let, me, let me just have you respond to this question coming in by email. Um, this this writer is, is saying that you mentioned your mother and uh, a few teachers at your school and Dame Eugenia, Dame Eugenia Charles as people who you looked up to growing up. The question is, who uh, currently do you look up to in, in, in your line of work? Um who currently do I look up to in my line of work? And I have to say, I don't really have that many um, people that I can uh, that that I have as a source of uh, of reference um, or, or mentors per se in my line of work. I I do, and you know, I I I, I look at Oprah Winfrey, for example, and I I, I her story is is quite amazing and. Um, I, I look to her as um, as as one of the the people whom I admire. Um, of course, uh, President Obama, and he he's he's just a, a magnificent um, speaker, but quite brilliant. So I look to him as um, as a mentor also. But in in relation to my specific line of work, I um, and I don't have anybody that I look up to, for example, a woman in technology that I can say that, that that's somebody that I have looked to as a, as a point of, um, of, of uh, motivation 
I, I don't have that at this moment. So if anybody knows of somebody else, somebody who's out there, I'll, I'll gladly, um, I'll, I'll gladly look at uh, look at look at their work and um, <coughs> could be a, a source of um, motivation for me. Excellent. Okay. The 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 websites are scholarlab dot com and powercaptions.com two of the of, of the companies that Dr. Laurel John Baptist have co-founded and is driving. Um, Dr. John Baptist, let me thank you for a really fascinating um, hour of discussion on the Dominican.net radio. I believe you've certainly set uh, the stage or, or set the uh, you know the stage for Dominican women and, and for women who would be interested in going in, into this into this area and i think your success no doubt is a is a byproduct of hard work on your part and just a, a, a diligence and a determination to succeed and, and and i'm sure all of that came out very very powerfully here tonight as we discussed so let me wish you the very best as you move forward with your company as you continue to expand and i trust that you you will be able to have some success in in reaching um, the University of the West Indies and getting them involved in this in, in this project. Thank you, Thompson. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Um, in in every way that I can, I appreciate and I welcome opportunities to give to give back to Dominica, a country that has uh, given me uh, so much and gave me a great foundation. So I look forward to. Uh, to many more engaging conversations with uh, Dominicans uh, all over the world. Yes, certainly, and we will certainly have you back. We, we're going to be having a, a panel discussion sometime on education, and you will definitely be, in, be invited back, but also we'll be keeping track of you and your progress as you continue to blaze uh, trails for all of us here in the diaspora and, of course, in Dominica. Thank you very much, Thompson. All right, thank you, and have a good night. Okay, let me say thank you to all our listeners and to all of you who called in and sent in emails. Let me say a very special thank you to Dr. John Baptist for being with us for the entire hour and for sharing her insights with us in the area of technology. As we said, Dr. John Baptist is the founder of Scholar Labs, a company that is involved in building innovative technologies for online learning. And this company is considered to be one of the fastest growing technology companies in Canada. So let me thank all of you for being with us for another evening of This Week in Interview. Join us again next week, Wednesday, for another special inter interview.